0: Hello and welcome to the For the Wind podcast. I'm Ted Berg. Going to be joined on the second half of the show by my colleague Maggie Hendricks, but first things first, I've got a very exciting guest, so I want to get right to that. And with that, I want to bring in one of the newest Baseball Hall of Famers, a very exciting guest for me, Mr. Tim Raines. Uh, Tim, first of all, uh, tell me what you're doing with Ortho BiFlex.
1: Well, uh, we just partnered up um, just recently, and... Um you know, I'm starting to use the product and, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, it's something that uh, I've been thinking about for a long time and uh, it was something that I felt that would help me uh, as far as, you know, after my career has been over and now that I have young daughters who are very active, I uh, felt like uh, it was about time for me to uh, get involved with uh, osteobosflex because uh, it, it really uh, encourages uh, staying active and, and that's something that, um, that I do uh, quite a bit and it's, you know, the number one pharmacist recommended brand. Uh, so uh, I definitely wanted to go with uh, something that would definitely help me.
0: I know I'm certainly not the first person to ask you about the the experience of the last few days, but I, I wanna hear about it. Uh what's it like for you? I mean what's it been like going through this, how long you had to wait to get in and then you know, everything up to getting the call.
1: Well it's uh the past few years have been a little more hectic uh, than than the first eight. Uh you know, I was just being encouraged, uh you know, every year from from the first year, uh, watching uh, the ballot counts and, and uh, how many uh, each and every year. But you know, last year uh, ended up getting you know close to seventy percent of the vote. And I just felt with one year left, you know, there was it was my last opportunity. But uh, very encouraged by what I had transpired the year before.
0: So what happens how do you feel when you when you hear that phone ring?
1: Oh my god, um uh, you know, I it just seemed like I had had been thinking about it for for such a long time and 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 finally when 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 the phone rung uh it felt like I was I was getting ready for my first at bat in, in a major league season. I kind of got um it, 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 it was it, it's kind of hard to explain. You know, and I think, uh, you know, you you go through it, like I said, you go through it in your mind uh, so many times. And then once it it happens, you know, you're so elated. I was with my family, uh, my two daughters and and my wife, and uh, I was with my agent and and, uh, my in-laws. But um, it was, was, like I said, hard to explain (laughs) the the feeling, uh, but just hearing the the phone ring was something that I've been waiting for for a long time.
0: One, uh, one thing I talked about with, with Ralph Kiner, actually, back in the day, is that once you make the Hall of Fame, for the rest of your life, everyone refers to you as a Hall of Famer. Introducing you, it's going to be you know Hall of Famer Tim Raines, and, and when it's written in print, it's going to be Hall of Famer Tim Raines. Have, have you gotten used to that yet? How does that feel?
1: Oh, it it, it it feels great, you know, and a lot of times, you know, before this point, people used to introduce me as a former Expo, former Yankee, former this and that. Um, now, I, I you know, and I played for a few teams, but, and really enjoy playing for all those teams, but, you know, now being, being you know, introduced as Hall of Famer Tim Ring, uh sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Uh,
0: something I I well well something you mentioned is, is playing for the Expos and, and you obviously got a lot of support from Expos fans. And Montreal has sorta of been in the news a little bit lately, uh, making noise about maybe, you know, trying to bring a team back there. How was Montreal as a baseball city?
1: Um great. I mean I can't say enough about, you know, you know, the way he treated me, uh, the fans, the city, uh, you know, and for, for people and, and seriously, and I, and I really mean this seriously, that if people have never gotten the opportunity to go, uh, to Montreal, uh, I would encourage you to do it because I mean, for the 13 years that I played there, uh, it, it, it felt like home, even though I'm an American citizen, I, I felt like a Canadian those, those 13 years. And, um, Nothing but good things to say about Montreal. Nothing but good things.
0: And how about the? How about you know? It was. It was. You. You were there for such a good time, and 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 saw you know a team that that uh, while you you know fell short of the World Series, but uh, had so many good players. I think a lot of people, at least of my generation, our association with the Expos is the last few years when you know the stadium wasn't in the best shape. There weren't a lot of people coming. What was that city like when baseball thrived there?
1: Oh, uh, totally different from what I think people remember the last few years. I mean, you know we 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 have you know two million fans a year uh, every year that I played there. Uh, I think this so happened. when Charles Brossman owned the team, it was it was the biggest thing in Canada uh, and and uh, not only that, you know we were we were creating havoc all over the United States with this team playing in the state. so I mean, uh, but when when you were a Canadian citizen, you know, um, you know, at the time there was only two teams, one in the American League one in the National League. But when you have probably see the whole country behind you, uh, it's, it's a little different. You know, when you're mm-hmm. in the States, you know, you got, you got a state against state. But when you got the whole country behind you, it, it, it's, it's certainly different. And, and you can feel that uh, when you step out on the field.
0: One of the things I learned this week, and, uh, it's a, it's a, story that, again, it seems strange to fans, I think, of my age in this era uh, because I I was six years old in 1987, so I didn't really remember the context of this, but coming off a batting title, you hit free agency. uh, In, you know, one of three consecutive years, the the MLB owners were later found uh, to have colluded against free agents. Uh, You wind up staying off the field for the month of April, right in sort of the thick of your prime, uh, and you come back and have a game where you go four for five and hit a grand slam in the 10th inning how did you stay ready for that after missing spring training and missing a month of baseball
1: um just you know when 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 you're a major league player and 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 something is taken away from you you know mentally you you know you kind of think about what's what's going to happen now but but I, i didn't i was i just felt like You know, at that time I was I was a young man in like you said in my prime, and I just couldn't wait to get back. I mean, I knew uh, what had happened. I knew I couldn't go to spring training. I knew I couldn't play in the first month of the season. So knowing that, you just try to you know keep yourself prepared. I mean, I worked out. I, I did a lot of things that I needed to do to get ready for the season. I wasn't really sure that I was going to go to the big leagues as, as as soon as I did. I mean, I thought they was going to give me a couple of weeks to, <laughs> to get prepared for it, but but they didn't. But I was, I was you know, I knew that uh, when the time came, I was going to be ready, but I wasn't sure when it was going to come. But when it came, like, uh, you know, after one day of, of spring training, uh, you know, one game and then the next day playing a major league game, I think I was just nervous I ever been in my career, but, you know, once that first pitch was thrown, I I just felt like, you know, it's time to go. And I've always had that kind of attitude about the game, you know, when when I'm always nervous before the first pitch is thrown. I mean, every game that I played in, that was for 23 years. But uh, I think just knowing that uh, I'm back where I belong uh, just it just worked out that day, and, and 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 by working out the way it did that day, it kind of kind of made me a little more comfortable as as the season went on.
0: Uh one of the things I think contributed to the the sort of late surge you saw in Hall of Fame voting is that you know our attitude at least among baseball fans and I think writers the uh, the attitude towards uh walks has kind of changed right where it was a thing that wasn't necessarily valued or counted you know maybe you know uh in certainly in the 80s and the 90s and and until sort of the new you know so-called moneyball era people's really started recognizing the value of on-base percentage I looked through it and you were you were getting on base via base on balls a ton, even as a teenager in the minor leagues. Was that something that always just kind of came naturally to you?
1: I think so. I think so. I mean, I, you know, I have I had older brothers that played ball, and I've been playing since I was five. My dad was a ball player, and and, and I always understood the game, and I always loved playing the game. Um, and and you know, I used to watch guys like you know, as, as I became a teenager, like. George Brett, uh, Joe Morgan, I mean, those type of guys, I mean, they, they were more power hitters, but Joe was kind of did it all. I mean, mm-hmm. he ran some bases, and I don't know how many walks he, he got, but he, he walked um, a lot too. Um, yeah. Felt, yeah. I just felt like, you know, the game, in order for you to be successful, is, is to get on base. And, and sometimes it really didn't matter how you got on, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I felt even at a young age, walk was just as good as a hit. I mean, everybody, of course, everybody liked to get hits and, and doubles and home runs and stuff like that, but you still have to get on base to score a run, and I felt like that was just as important as as, as actually getting a hit, and, and I always uh, looked at it that way. I'm not sure why, but... It, it really worked out uh, in a good way for me as, as my career went on. Well,
0: and once you got to base, obviously you know, one of the most successful base stealers in Major League history, uh, especially in terms of stolen base percentage. Uh, we've seen in recent years stolen bases have have come down, even uh, down since some of the you know late 90s, early 2000s years when guys were hitting more homers and hitting for more power. You would expect when the when the Pitchers get you know when the pitchers start uh, winning the the contest a little more often, you might see, see more stolen bases. We really haven't. Do you think it's a it's something of a lost art or a dying art in baseball?
1: I I, I don't think so. But I just think when 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 the game kind of changed to to power hitting uh, type of players, then you, then then you kind of lose that speed aspect uh, of the game. So so teams were drafting players that have power. Uh, and, and not as much speed. And then you start managing the, the game a little different. You know, mm-hmm. you started uh, letting guys, you know, not steal because they're afraid that their best hitter is going to be walked and, and face the next guy. So I think teams start playing more for uh, three-run homer, uh, two-run homers instead of, you know, playing inning the inning trying to score runs. Uh, and, 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 again, they start, start drafting uh, speedy guys. They start drafting more power-hitting uh, type of players, and that's why it's probably going to take a while uh, before, you know, it all changes because, you know, now you see more power-hitting players in the big leagues. You don't see the speed as much, and, and the managers are starting to manage that type of way. I think, uh, you know, if you look at Kansas City a couple of years ago, uh, they were a team that didn't, didn't have a lot of power, mm-hmm. even though they hit some home, But they speed actually won the world championship for them. Yeah, she, you know, saw him on the base path. You saw him taking extra base, uh, extra bases, and and you saw you saw him making you know the opposing team make mistakes trying trying to stop them from running. So uh, you know, a couple of years ago it happened. This year it wasn't so much, but I think. As as the years go on, you start you're gonna to start to see a little more of that.
0: I know I've got to let you go. I just want to say once again, congratulations, and and Tim, thanks so much for doing this.
1: Yeah, remember to take your <laughs> remember to take
0: out your bye <laughs> I tell you, it's it's out for me.
1: <laughs> Got it. Thank thank you
0: so much. All right, so that's Tim Rains, and uh, I I don't. Uh... I guess we can go right into another Hall of Famer then, (laughs) Miss Maggie Hendricks. Maggie, how are you?
2: I'm good. I'm, I'm kind of blown away to be on the same one as Tim Raines, so that's cool.
0: Well, you know, we've, we've set a fairly high bar lately, and we had Buster Posey, we've had Mario Batali, we had Ice Cube, uh, so Hemel had to follow Ice Cube, which was kind of tough. Uh, Steven Ruiz, uh, another one of our colleagues, was really the only guy who got sort of his own showcase podcast episode, uh, and I kind of feel bad for how it, how it uh, juxtaposes for Steven, because it's like Ice Cube joins the show, Buster Posey joins the show, Steven Ruiz joins the show, but I feel like he'll get to that later.
2: With the way his graphics are, yeah, I'm totally on board.
0: And not to mention his NFL writing.
2: Yeah, what a jerk. Quit being good at everything, Stephen.
0: It is very irritating. But Maggie, before we go on, I gotta say, the For The Wind Podcast is brought to you in part by Blue Apron. Uh, I have been receiving, I just got, actually today as we we record this, just received my sh- second weekly shipment of food from Blue Apron. I've got uh, tacos, steak tacos on the horizon that I'm very excited about. Uh, like I said on last week's show, I had a, a fairly good, great, uh, Great experience with the the first several meals. Uh, cooking a lot of things I wouldn't normally cook, using some techniques that are fairly easy and that they explain to you. But I would never use while cooking at home. I am fairly straightforward most of the time. I just kind of cook meat and a vegetable. This has forced me to uh, broaden my horizons, certainly in the cooking spectrum. Food's been delicious. The meat has been high quality, very fresh. Uh, everything comes in the appropriate p- portions, so I don't wind up, you know, using, uh, I don't wind up with a giant jar of tamarind extract I'll never use again for another four years and then finally throw out when I move from my apartment. They instead send you exactly what you need to use. Uh, it is easy. It is easy to set up online. Uh... Uh, You can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash for the win. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. That's blueapron.com slash for the win. Blue Apron, it is a better way to cook. Maggie, what's going on?
2: Not much, man. Just you know, uh, get, getting excited about all of the the sports we have coming up. We have the Super Bowl and all that good fun.
0: So Maggie is one of my colleagues from USA Today Sports. Also, frequently writes for For the Win. Uh, and your your expertise is in the Olympic realm. Am I wrong?
2: You are correct, sir. That is that's my favorite. My favorite things to write about and. Uh, I'm usually the person that's caring about what's happening and fencing in the, you know, off-season years, too. So. Yeah,
0: that's, that's actually, I, we're going to go into, and I want to do, and I know I prepped you for this before the show, but uh, we've been going through uh, our top things of every week with the first week, show of every week. But before we do that, I just want to talk a little bit of, off season uh, Olympic sports. Because this is something actually was my background. My first job in sports journalism was working for a now defunct website called WCSN.com. And what nice. we covered was uh, all of these international Olympic sports, fencing, uh, ice hockey in, in like, the IIHL worlds, gymnastics, figure skating, swimming, uh, even, like, sepactochra. It wasn't necessarily only Olympic sports, but a lot of international sports, a lot of stuff around the world. Does that keep you – what is it about the Olympics that sort of distinguishes uh, those sports, and and how do you stay uh, involved in those things uh, during the non-Olympic years?
2: Um, I mean, what's great about the Olympics is it – puts this huge, huge spotlight on these sports that aren't really, uh, cared about most of the, most of the time. So, um, and, it, and the athletes usually are toiling in, and for the most part, nobody knows who they are or what they're doing, but they're still working their butts off thinking ahead to, you know, their next Olympics. And, you know, the internet has been, uh, just in particularly streaming video has just been a, a huge gift to those of us who like to follow the sports that we, you know, that aren't, that don't get on these huge contracts and aren't going to be on, on a network. Um, so like getting to watch, like there was a ton of figure skating this weekend, but it wasn't all on TV, uh, because it was the United States, uh, national championships. So there was, because I have an ice network subscription, I got to watch some of the earlier rounds and see some of the skaters who, aren't quite good enough right now, but are also ones to watch. Or like if there's a fencing event, I I usually don't have a hard time finding video of it because there's all, it's really, really rare and very odd these days for there to be a sporting event that you can't get some video of. And that's even if it's in like Dagestan, it doesn't matter. There's usually some sort of streaming.
0: So you know from Olympics times that I am fairly down on the Olympics. I, it's not my favorite uh, quadrennial event, I guess you would say. Uh, not that I resent anyone or, or, or say anyone should not enjoy the Olympics. That's not really my bag. Enjoy whatever sports you want to enjoy. It's just, not, it's just never really been my thing, even when I was uh, covering Olympic sports. Is there an Olympic sport you see... Becoming like a crossover success, getting out of the Olympic realm and becoming something everybody cares about all years, not just Olympic years.
2: You know, uh, there's there's not really a sport I see doing that in like the traditional way, like like saying saying it'll be as big as MMA all year round or as big even as soccer has become, all, you know, all year round. I always laugh when I hear people say like, well, when's soccer going to explode? I'm like, well, go to a bar and you tell me the answer to that question. <laughs> um, but but at the same time, I think what what is going to happen and will con- actually is happening and will continue to happen is almost how there's been segmentation of, uh, television watching, and like you don 't get these huge numbers, like say the mash finale you don 't get these huge numbers on television anymore because basically there 's too many things for people to watch for them to, for everybody to want to watch the exact mm-hmm. same thing on the exact same night um, I think that 's what 's happening in sports, so it 's not necessarily that people don 't care about the n f l anymore being the reason why and you know why their their ratings have been not so hot this year. It's that there are a ton of options and fans don't to be a sports fan, you don't have to fall fall into the I love baseball, hockey, basketball or football. So I, I don't think anything's gonna be gigantic, but I think that other sports will continue to grow.
0: I think one that I could get behind is curling. Uh, so you're saying there's no chance I'm gonna have like curling versions of baseball cards in the next couple of years because that would be cool. I could get on board. Uh,
2: I don't know about that, but uh, I I know that they do have curling night in America on NBC Sports Network. So I I, I think you might have just given a, a marketer a really good idea. So maybe.
0: Last Olympic question before we get into talking about our favorite things, and this is just something that has long been an issue for me: ski jumping is a judged competition, right? Like, in addition to your distance, they're judging your landing and everything like that. Why, and would you prefer it if it was a pure distance contest? You had a big net at the end for safety, and it was just everybody see how far you can jump on skis.
2: Wow, I've never thought about that. I
0: I think about this all the time. I think about this all the time. I just feel like it should be just like, and like, it would be fun. It would be fun because there'd be a net, so it would be safe, right? Maybe you could ditch, maybe you can even ditch the skis in the air and go into like cannonball position and just fly through the air because I feel like that's a sport I would want to participate in, assuming there's some sort of like net or trampoline or, you know, safety device at the end because you don't want people literally killing themselves flying into a wall or whatever.
2: Well, and he, the thing is, is there's also the the win, the summer Olympic sport of uh, of trampoline. So you could almost combine the two, and like, all right, you you fall like you you land onto the trampoline, and then you do a whole trampoline routine from that.
0: I'm all about that. I think that trampolines are super fun, and I would like them to be incorporated into more sports. It's a shame to me that Slam Ball never took off. Do you remember Slam Ball? Is that still a still thing? Do,
2: I don't think it's a thing anymore. I've seen, like, uh, like kids playing around on sort of Slam Ball-esque. Like, you can you can take your kids to go to a, a Slam Ball sort of experience, uh, but I it's not that whole, like, ACL ripping sort of thing. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's it's a shame because I'm sure the orthopedic surgeons of the world would have done quite well off of Slam Ball continuing.
0: Yeah, we uh, frequently discuss my inability to dunk and how much it tortures me on the podcast. I feel like Slam Ball was really the way for me. I'm almost certain I could dunk with the assistance of a trampoline. I wish that they were incorporated into basketball uh, it's probably not going to happen. Let's go through, let's talk about, so so like I said, we've been going through our favorite things of the week, and since I usually like to give the guest the final word, that means I get to take the first word, and I want to say, first and foremost, favorite thing of the week, uh, on Saturday night, I bowled a 186, which is the most second best bowling score of my life. Uh, I was on fire. I don't. I realize that that's not an incredible bowling score, but I think that that is as good as I want to be at bowling because – I am somewhat distrustful of people who are, like, going to the ball. Unless you're, like, a professional bowling alley. If you're someone who's, like, way too good at the bowling alley, I don't really want to bowl with you. But if you're someone who's, like, putting up, like, 150s, 160s, and you're still, you know, bowling the ball straight, you're not, like, crazy spin guy, you're not fancy bowler dude, uh, you don't have your own ball, I think uh, 186, by that standard, is an incredibly impressive score. I'm really proud of myself, and I am going to... Ride this cloud for at least a week.
2: <laughs> I'm a very inconsistent
0: bowler, so I like, am. I, I am exactly that.
2: Yeah. So I, there will be times when I'll bowl like a 60, and then there'll be times when I, I think I think my best score is like a one sixty, one seventy, and and like those two things could be coming on successive days.
0: See, typically for me, like at the I will bowl. I think to the quality of my competition. So the best, the prior best score I had was in college against a former roommate who was on his high school bowling team with whom I was very competitive. He was having a great game. I i don't know what happened to me. I just sort of got into the zone. I hit—I think I hit four strikes in a row, which is a really easy way to get yourself to 190. This time I was against my wife, against, who was not a great bowler. She was also an extremely inconsistent bowler. She happened to have a great game in my great game, but for both of us it was – we had bowled twice. we had had two games and i i i've actually am also i should say I hit one eighty six while nursing a an elbow injury with my uh. my throwing and bowling elbow Uh, and so she was like well we should stop after two games because you're obviously hurt and I was like no 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 I'm just feeling it right now like I I think I've got it figured out let me keep bowling and it is a great feeling it is a great feeling there were people around us at the bowling alley who were clearly impressed which is always (laughs) very important to me and I feel good I feel good
2: that's that's pretty great
0: tell me something good that happened this week
2: well, since we're starting with personal accomplishments, I made a really good butterscotch pudding. Uh, Serious Eats, if you're not familiar with the website, you should get familiar because their recipes are fantastic. Uh, it, the They like to come up with, hey, this was a thing I ate when I was a kid, and I know this it was full of like all kinds of chemicals and terrible things. Here's a better way for me to make it. Mm-hmm. And so, butterscotch pudding, like, you know, like the one you would get out of the jello box when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. She, they had a, a recipe with that that was made with like vanilla and egg yolks, and it was like a true custard. And since I saw this recipe, I wanted to make it, and I finally got a chance to this weekend. And it was delicious, Ted. I'm not going to lie. It was delicious.
0: What so, is butterscotch?
2: Well, I mean, butterscotch is like... Like, I know
0: the flavor, I know the flavor, yeah. but I don't know what... That's not a thing. It's not like butterscotch grows from the ground, right? Right, that, right. What is it's,
2: it? And it's it's like more of a British thing, so we can blame this on Luke.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Um, it's a British thing that kind of has, uh like, be- come to the United States and kind of taken a different different feeling, but it's not... It's not like, yeah, like chocolate is from, you know exactly what chocolate is. It's from the cocoa bean and you, you you know, like there's ways to refine it and to make it either stronger or not so strong, but like butterscotch, no, it, it, it's more like a flavor.
0: It's like, and it's related to caramel right yeah. But it doesn't yeah. taste exactly like caramel i feel yeah. like i'm more towards the caramel side of the butterscotch caramel divide but i also suspect that probably most of the butterscotch things i've eaten in my life have been from like the chemical source of fake butterscotch flavor Yes. and that yes. perhaps i would really like a butterscotch pudding or custard but uh did you now when you serve it or when you eat it are you just having the pudding straight, in, uh, straight up, or are you adding anything in there? Because I feel like pudding improves from some diversity of texture.
2: Uh, I definitely think I could have, but it it was so good that I didn't really wait.
0: <laughs> okay, and is it so, all, is like it all gone not- now?
2: Uh, the only reason there's, it's not all gone now is because I promised my husband I would leave it, the rest of it for him. So okay. basically because I love my husband is the only reason it's not all gone.
0: Well, that was very well, – was he not around to enjoy it immediately? Because that's – yeah, that's a shame I would say.
2: He just he i mean I made it at like eleven o'clock in the morning yesterday morning, so he okay. just wasn't eating a pudding place at that point so he wasn't
0: he wasn't eating like a full mix of pudding in one night, so yeah, so okay, that's fair um yeah. do you think he might consider adding like a nilla wafer in there
2: yeah i I think he could we have graham crackers too, I think it might like maybe graham crackers will be involved
0: yeah i like I like incorporating graham crackers into more things, I feel like graham cracker flavor, uh, in the palette of dessert things. I feel like graham cracker underused generally. I am 100% on board with that plan. You would upgrade. I feel like you would upgrade your pudding that way because to me, I like my favorite types of pudding is like a banana pudding when you've got like the cookies in there Mm. in addition to the pudding.
2: Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense.
0: That's just an important pudding tip that I'm throwing out. That's free. That, that one's free.
2: From us to you, right there.
0: All right, I'm going to go with, uh, so so why we tend to stick to sports, we, where we try to stick to sports things, uh, or at least very vaguely sports-related topics, for many of these, but not all, and if you can say butterscotch pudding, I want to say a good thing that I have uh, experienced this week, not the best thing, not like an outstanding thing. Uh, you mentioned uh, the, the sort of broad variety of TV options now available to us, and on Amazon Prime I have powered through two seasons of The Man in the High Castle, which, uh, if you don't know the show, it's, a, it's based on a Philip K. Dick science fiction novel about an alternate reality wherein uh, Japan and Nazi Germany win World War II, and it's sort of uh, the show, at least, is sort of looking at life in the United States under uh, these fascist powers. The United States has been split up where the west coast belongs to Japan and the east coast uh, belongs to Germany. It is a super interesting show and really 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 watchable they do an awesome job sort of setting up the world uh in of this you know the post world war 2 had it gone the other way uh had i think uh, essentially the premise is that germany developed the nuclear bomb before we did uh and and used it and you know obviously it's a a terrifying outcome to consider, and, and many aspects of the show are terrifying, but I think it also sort of does a good job showing how, like, fascism would work in practice and how, you know, how it would feel to be the subject of a fascist dictatorship. Uh, not all of the characters' motivations make a lot of sense, and so that's kind of the issue with it that's that's holding me back. You see people, like, sort of, do things that are obviously going to get them killed or should obviously get them killed, uh, which won't actually like help their friends. And if they had just thought th- thought it through, there'd be no way they'd be doing that thing, but it sort of pushes the story along. So that's sort of my complaint about it, but good show. I recommend it.
2: That sounds fascinating. And I think it's going on my list. Thank you.
0: What else has been on your list lately?
2: Well, uh, last night as I was about to go to bed, I go to turn off my TV and PBS was, was just on in the background um, because I just watched Victoria, which I do highly recommend.
0: What? What's Well, before – because this is going to be your next thing I think, right? Yes, yes. Um, so before we get to that, tell me about Victoria because that does not sound like it would interest me.
2: Well, I mean it's about it, <laughs> unless like, it's, it's
0: about th- like yeah, unless it's like a follow up on the seventy percent of people who went to my high school who were named Victoria because every single person in my high school is named victoria
2: it had it has nothing to do with the Long Island high school, it is okay. about uh Queen Victoria in her young her young years um if you like the crown you would definitely like this um and jenna coleman who is most known i think from uh being the companion on doctor who from clara uh she is in it so i mean it's it's super british it's super duper british um but it's also just really enjoy <clears throat> enjoyable to think of just much like with the crown of thinking of these vaunted characters from history being you know just people and and her looking for a hu- husband and things like that while being a queen um, is just interesting. But so I was turning off the TV after watching Victoria and Homeland last night, and uh, there's a local show here in Chicago on PBS that's called Check, Please. And the idea of it is that, like, three regular people recommend their favorite restaurants. All three people go to each other's restaurants, and, and then they rate it on the show and they discuss it. Um, and so in the very first season of the show, back in 2001, a state senator from the South side of Chicago, by the name of Barack Obama, huh. uh, was, was on the show. He would go um, on to
0: other things. I feel like yeah, I know that name.
2: Yeah. I, I feel like he, you know, was kind of important. Uh, so yeah, so PBS on, on the, uh, the end of, of president Obama's tenure in office, PBS reran this and it was. Such a delight Cause, because because I mean it was back in two thousand one. So he when talking about restaurants, he's talking about like, well, I have a three year old and a two month old at home. So that was when you know Malia and Sasha were babies, mm-hmm. and uh, and like and we have to think about that when we go to restaurants and we have to. And it was a hard he had a hard time getting a reservation at uh, a restaurant in in the Bucktown area of Chicago and just things like that. But at the same time it was still the man that we knew as our president that he was, he was really like, he was, he almost was moving the show along more than the host. Like he was doing a really good job of like making sure other people were talking. I mean, he's an, he's
0: an engaging guy, right? Like he's a, that's a, I mean, he's a charismatic guy. He, he, he became the president, you know, (laughs) he
2: became the president. But so that's the thing. You see it all there. You see, you see him being like this, this very engaging character and talking about food and it was the funny thing was at the hearing him continually say my wife was weird. And I realized why, because at that time we didn't all know Michelle, we right. didn't all know who she was. She was working at the University of Chicago at that time, you know, so like uh, so he, you never hear him call her my wife anymore because, you know, he says Michelle and everybody knows exactly. Right. Who she's,
0: she's a national treasure. We know who she is.
2: Yes. So it was, the whole the whole thing was just delightful. I, I ended up watching it in just the best mood. And I'm sure there are clips of it on YouTube if you look up uh, Check, Please, and Barack Obama, because it, w- it was just a sweet thing. The only thing that's, that's a bummer is the restaurant he recommended uh, closed a few years ago. There's another, there's another version of it up in Evanston, but uh, the one that he went to and he recommended is not there anymore.
0: What kind of restaurant is it?
2: It's a southern restaurant. Uh, it's called Dixie Kitchen and Bait Shop. And it did – it had, like a s- southern restaurants in Chicago have become like a thing lately that they're like – there have been more and more of them opening. But it did like southern food and soul food well before anybody even thought of making it in a food truck.
0: I want to move on again, but I again I have to press you on a Chicago issue. And this is something – uh that i feel very passionately about and i feel like uh you know we might disagree on a lot of things here maggie i'm just gonna be honest uh you know i like you and i respect your opinions but i think on this one you might very much uh i might upset you because you're you're from chicago you're a proud chicagan correct
2: yes i am
0: uh i think it is absolutely absurd that Chicago tries to force its hot dog beliefs upon me every time I go to Chicago and say that I'm not allowed to put ketchup on my hot dog.
2: Our city, our rules, buddy.
0: Why? Why, though? Why? Because it, it Chicago is an awesome city. I love Chicago. That's the thing. And it feels small time to me that Chicago is like, no, 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 you got to eat your hot dog this way. And this isn't the way. And part of the way is like, oh, we're going to throw on no matter what season it is. We're going to throw on this like mealy, gross tomato that's going to sog up your hot dog bun. That's not going to add a lot of flavor and it's just not going to be as good as ketchup.
2: Well, I actually am not a fan of the tomato or the pickle. I don't like pickles at all. So, like when I get a hot dog, I just do straight mustard and onions. Um, well, that's, that's acceptable. That's acceptable. Yeah. Uh, and and like uh, I really really hope the next time you come to Chicago, I can can bring you to Gene and Jude's, which is the best hot dog place on the planet. And I, I I would argue it, but it's not even worth arguing. It's a it's just a fact. Um, but it's. Uh, they don't do the full drag through the garden they, they what they they do is called a depression dog that it's so it doesn't have as many things that were scarce in the depression basically so you just get uh can do mustard onion and sport peppers and that's it i believe so
0: you're saying it's not a universal? because i feel like every hot dog place like this at least the standard in chicago is you're getting like yeah you're getting like multiple pickles sport pepper Mm -hmm. uh the green relish right the like electric green relish tomato and some like pickles so but not not every place is going to do that to me
2: not and and not every place it's going to re, is going to to have the full the full Chicago hot dog. The thing is though, if you want a tomato tomatoey flavor, Chicagoans are going to say you you put a tomato on it. But why or, don't
0: they like ketchup? What's wrong with
2: ketchup? It's overly sweet. It like ruins. It it just it it's it just takes something savory into not into this super sweet world. That's why I I don't personally like it. It's it's just to me it's a it's a uh, a taste for an immature palate, I think, is the best way to See, say it. See, that's
0: that's what Chicago always comes with. Is like, it's, oh, you're less you're, than me because you like ketchup. It's not like that other places. Like you can uh, you dress your hot dog however you want. In my opinion, you if if you came up, if you want like orange cheese on your hot dog and gummy bears, go to town. Eat gummy bears on your hot dog. Don't yell at me because I want my hot dog this way.
2: Well, the thing is, is, a lot of places, it's not that they'll yell at you. It's that you, they don't have ketchup for you. So like Gene and Jude's, this place that, is, that I love ever so, um, you, they don't have any ketchup See that feels on, like on that site. feels like an
0: affectation to me because everybody knows people there are people out there who eat ketchup on hot dogs, right? Even if you're not a even if, if you're in Chicago and you're in the, the middle of the zone, there are people coming in there asking for ketchup with their hot dogs.
2: Right? And they're told they can't have any. That's that's nonsense.
0: It's it's like <laughs> such a standard thing, right? Like it's like I went to a I went to a coffee shop in Kansas City one time and they they wouldn't give me milk. They said like we sorry, but you we don't want you to have our coffee with milk. Because our coffee is so fine that you should be drinking it black, and we don't believe you should be having milk. No. No, no. No, no. No, I won't accept that because milk is a standard coffee addition. It's not a, when I want coffee part of what I want is the smoothness and creaminess that comes with the milk part of it, right? Just straight coffee is going to destroy my stomach and hurt and not be pleasant going in. And uh, I happen to enjoy a hot dog with ketchup. I, it's it's just it's just how I like it, right? And it's so standard that I feel like Chicago I feel like Chicago's better than that. You need to be better than that.
2: Uh, but the thing is is like I, I it is rare that I'm in line at Gina and Judes and it is usually a line there that I even hear anybody wanting ketchup or needing it. That's because and the-
0: they don't have the temerity to ask for it because they know maybe not at Gina Jude's, I've never been there, but I've seen people at, at other hot dog places where like part of the shtick is we're super rude and if you ask for ketchup, we will like curse you out for it.
2: Well, at Gene and Jude's, you can get ketchup. You just have to go next door to McDonald's and pay twenty five cents a packet.
0: Is that a thing you can buy? Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, uh, as as long as there's been a McDonald's next to it, they will they will give you packets. You just you just have to pay for them because I mean I don't blame them for doing that because anybody who wants ketchup, the only place they can get it is next door at McDonald's. So.
0: Ah, oh, see, that's, so And it's just like, then there's like a loophole. There's a loophole. Like you can't have ketchup, but you were going to make it like a pain in your ass to have ketchup. Well,
2: Gene and Jude's was there long before this McDonald's was. So like, honestly, it's just McDonald's kind of being smart about making right. money
0: off of it. Well, we'll bring in people. But that, again, again, that's sort of, to me, that's on the hot dog place. You got to you gotta provide ketchup. Even if you're not, like, even if you personally don't like ketchup, I feel like enough people want hot. I'm sorry, this is, like, a very important issue to me. There's it, a lot
2: of hot dog places that will put ketchup on it because, like. Because like, they have like, fries,
0: right? So they have, so there's ketchup available because.
2: Well, and there's fries. There's fries that Gina used. It it just, honestly, I think ketchup would, oh, I can't even imagine ketchup on those fries. But. Um, cause they're like the hand cut and they're fried in lard and you just, you don't want anything but just the sweetness, like the, the taste of that and the salt. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like lucky dog, the place that I grew up going to most often because it was just a few blocks from where I grew up from my house was, um, like, because when you get hot dogs for kids, normally you do want, they do, normally do want ketchup on it. And I'm not even saying that like the immature palate, it's just kids always want ketchup on hot dogs. That's absolutely um, true. So, like, lucky. So, when I would get them for my niece and nephew, I would know I would have to get ketchup on the on the hot dogs. So you have so, to go to a different
0: place. You have to go to a different place if you have kids with you.
2: Well, yeah, but like Gene and Jude's is like it's like a project. First of all, you have to get out of the car. There's no drive-through, and there's like a longer line. And it was fifteen minutes from where I grew up, as opposed to three minutes. So, okay. like Gene and Jude's is. Gene and Jude's is like a destination, whereas Lucky Dog's, you know, just a place you go to get the hot dog.
0: And Gene and Jude's, you're saying best hot dog in Chicago.
2: Best hot dog on the damn planet.
0: All right. I will check, I'll check out that hot dog. I mean, I look, I, and I like a Chicago hot dog, if, especially if, like, the ingredients are good. I, I like that it's like a hot dog with a salad on top of it. That's fine. Yeah. It's a nice change of pace for me. It's just like if I, if I want a, a cheese dog with ketchup, I kind of want to be able to get that too.
2: Well, I mean, you can at a lot of places, just not Gina okay. and Jude's.
0: Okay. Gina
2: and Jude's has a very clear menu, and it's about five items. And, and that's
0: it. not at specifically whatever the name of the place was that was on the walk back to my hotel from Wrigley Field, which was like the, yeah. yeah, the only place that would serve me food or where I could get food at the hours at which you're leaving Wrigley Field in the postseason.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to bet it was like Wiener's Circle or Demon Dogs or one of that. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's places, particularly in the more touristy spots of Chicago, that are aggressively anti ketchup. Gene and Jude's isn't that way. It's more just like, no, we don't have it. So, sorry. It's not so aggressive. You're not going to be yelled at. They're just going to laugh at you quietly.
0: Hamel is gonna kill me for how long we've talked about food because she <laughs> very much objects. But I want to I want to follow up just because you mentioned the touristy areas, and this is an ethical d- dilemma that I ran into not long ago, and I suppose probably happens in Chicago pretty frequently too, right? So in this particular case, I was at Seven Eleven, and there was someone who I believed to be a tourist. Um, she had all of the makings of the tour of a tourist, you know, like based on the shopping bags and based on the like, looking at the subway map on her phone and all of the different things that were happening. I had reason to believe this was a tourist. Uh, mm. She bought a slice of pizza – a, a European tourist, I should say uh, – bought a slice of pizza at Seven Eleven, And she was, like, 20 yards from the best pizza place in my neighborhood. Do I have an obligation or is it obnoxious for me to be like, hey, if you're about to eat pizza – and she spent – it wasn't – wasn't, I don't think it was a cost thing because she was paying with a $50 bill. Uh, yeah. So if you're about to spend a dollar on a slice of pizza here, you can go down the block and get like classic, incredible New York-style New York pizza. Do you feel like it is the obligation of the native to steer a tourist in the right direction in that spot or should you let a tourist sort of come to that on their own?
2: Oh, you absolutely should tell them. I I mean, I am, I may be a little bit too uh, forward on that sort of thing, but I I totally would, especially now that, now one thing that New York has that I kind of wish Chicago had like I, there's a, there's this misconception that the only kind of pizza people from Chicago eat is deep dish. That's not correct. We eat all kinds of pizza and I only eat deep dish maybe two or three times a year. Cause it's just, it's just a lot. It's incredible. Um,
0: it's incredible. It's,
2: it's but wonderful. it's too much. Love it's too it. much. That's I would, funny.
0: I probably also, cause I eat deep dish probably every time I go to Chicago, but that's probably two or three times a year. Um, uh, yeah, and I can't yeah. imagine, and I never like want it at other times.
2: Right. Right. It's, I mean, it's, it's a lot, um, but I love the fact that you can go to New that there's so many spots in New York that you can get like, a slice and a pop cuz i'm from chicago i say pop um, for what like 5 bucks that mm-hmm. you like it's it's this wonderful way i feel like new york is this crazy expensive town in so many ways but there's also like these little these little pockets of here this is how you can survive this crazy expensive town and and one of them is that is the slice of, slice of pizza and a drink yeah. so so yeah i think i think not only is it if, as long as you do it in a, like, nice, non-threatening, non-condescending way of saying, hey, just want to mention, my favorite pizza spot is right there, and it's so good. It's probably going to be a lot better than what you just bought. Like, Yeah,
0: I you think, think- – I think you're right. I think in this particular case, uh, the fact that it was a woman about my age made me less likely to do it because I didn't want to seem like like I'm like a slick guy being like, hey, well if you like this, why don't you come right down the block and, and eat the pizza? Yeah. Day? You know, like that's not that's not my bag. I'm not trying to pick up tourists at Seven Eleven, uh, especially what with being married and all. Uh, that would <laughs> be weird. But I, I would also note um, regarding the New York slice pizza, the, the other first of all, like you said, you're 100 percent spot on, right? Like everything about living in New York is obscenely expensive. Uh, I don't know why I do it, to be honest. It's like, it's an unreasonable thing, and like probably some sort of pathological problem on my part that I want to live here, because it doesn't make any sense. You go to other cities that are perfectly fine, and it seems like everything is half the price. But, uh, because of that... I have probably – I would say probably something like 25% of my meals for the last 10 years have been uh, a slice of pizza over a like crappy pl- paper plate uh, it was consumed while walking down the street on the way to some place uh, because that is the way. That's the way – I mean it's not a healthy meal, right, and <laughs> it's not good for you, but I feel like – most people sort of default to two slices of pizza. That's really more pizza than I typically want. It's just like a slice of pizza, two dollars and fifty cents at a good pizza place, or two dollars if it's depending on the neighborhood. It's so good and yeah. it fills you up, and it's cheap, and you can and it's v- like vaguely portable if you're folding it up, uh, which I do. Again, like I don't care if people fold it or not. I know that's like a thing some New Yorkers have. Like you need to eat it like this, and you need to not eat it like that. I don't care how you eat your pizza. Eat it however you want, way you want. Don't eat it at Seven Eleven and another thing i'm going to know before we move on and i'm going to get to sports in a second uh, i think that a big thing for tourists and cuz i know this when i'm a tourist is like you're like oh i need to have if like if i go to chicago and I want to have a Chicago food. Like if I want to have an Italian beef sandwich, which I know to be a Chicago thing, I'm like, I need to find the best Italian beef. Let me like Google yeah. this. Let me run this whole search. And that's cool. But I think in New York, what an important thing to know if you're coming to New York is that the difference between – as long as it's good pizza. As long as it's not like dollar pizza or 7-Eleven pizza or like some lousy pizza place as long as it's the neighborhood's best pizza place, and I would say like, you can't really go 10 blocks in New York in any direction, certainly Manhattan, probably also in Brooklyn and Queens and the Bronx, you can't really go, oh, and certainly in Staten Island, which has some of the best pizza, you you just can't get that far without passing a really good pizzeria. And the difference between that pizzeria and the best pizzeria in New York is very, very slim. And it's probably not worth, like, googling going way far out of your way for slightly better pizza because the baseline pizza standard is so good that you're better off like making that destination meal something else and having the pizza the way the New Yorkers enjoy it which is from the best local place uh eaten again like over a paper plate you're holding yourself while you're drunk in the middle of the night and stumbling down the street
2: yeah, that's the way I, I had – I was not drunk. I was just – I had had a crazy day working with Tim Gunn the last time I was in New York, and uh, that's exactly how I had my dinner. It was perfect. Uh, so. yeah,
0: that That is perfect. All right, I'm going to go on to uh, – now i got sports. We're going to go back to sports. Sports. Um, my last good thing of the week – Uh, and again, we're going to, I'm going to try to avoid politics as much as I can, but it's just something I kind of like, and it's something we've talked about before on the show, which is, you know, where and when it's the right place for an athlete or a sports personality to speak up about politics, uh, woke NBA coaches in the news this week, Greg Popovich commented on the women's marches, uh, we posted it, Alicia posted on for the win, um. He has been, Popovich, the Spurs coach, has been sort of an outspoken critic of the Trump administration. Uh, and then Steve Kerr sort of piled on and, and got into it just by making a joke about his Orlando Magic career, saying that he scored po- 14,000 points, uh, and Sean Spicer will be talking about it any second, uh, making a play on the uh, so-called Alternative facts shared by the uh, White House press secretary this week and I you know and like this is a complicated thing right because i and and I've said it on the show before, I feel like you tend to. Uh, want the athletes and coaches you agree with speaking up, and then when someone shares a dissenting opinion from your own, you're like, ah, oh, it's not the athlete's place, I don't care what this guy says about politics, and I am 100% guilty of that, but I do feel like with Popovich especially, the difference is that guy has interesting things to say, and maybe even if I did disagree with him, I feel like he does have – by virtue of just being a smart guy and also a guy with uh, you know, like military experience and coming from a background where he does have some qualifications to talk to, the, to, talk to these things. Uh, he has an interesting perspective, and he happens to be extremely eloquent at sharing it. So I'm, I'm, I like that. I just, I, I didn't, he's not a guy I knew a ton about before, honestly, this recent election cycle. And now it's like, this is the coolest NBA coach. I kind of wish he would stop coaching and go into politics.
2: I would vote for pop in a second. Um, My favorite thing of that was that uh, like when pop was asked these questions, the women's marches were just kind of winding down. Uh, Spicer's press press conference was just kind of winding down. So like what I noticed about it is that pop was really paying attention to what's going on in this world and was very well informed and had, had not just opinions, but informed opinions. So like, I, that is what made me so happy is like in the, in also while being one of the best basketball coaches of, of all time, honestly, considering how long the Spurs have been a player and been one of the top mm-hmm. teams. Uh, he also, knows everything that's going on he's staying very well informed and very uh in in engaged in everything that's going on in the world and look I get why an NBA coach might not want to be engaged in 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 all the things in the world just because they have they work a lot like I think there's
0: not a a lot of advantage to you as a coach to being into politics or speaking about